Praise God. Praise God. Happy Independence Day. Today marks the liberation of America from the arms of the British. The Battle of Yorktown in 1781. America at the behest of General George Washington fought the decisive skirmish in the Revolutionary War against General Cornwallis and won decidedly. And all of our coming together as families to cook out as well as to see the gerundal of fireworks light up and display in the night. Let us not forget the price that was paid to purchase our American freedom. In our Willem study on change, we discuss the changeable suits of apparel. In our lecture today, I shall inveigle your attention with a brusque lesson on the battle dress of a soldier. I'm reading from 2 Timothy chapter number 2, Paul's prolific writing to Timothy in Timothy chapter, 2 Timothy chapter number 2, beginning reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I want to be not only a soldier, but a good soldier. I'm preaching from this text. It may sound satirical or a little humorous, but I do believe that there is a generative thought process that God wants to connect in our hearts and minds through this text, which is the G.I. Joe of Genesis. The G.I. Joe of Genesis. The Lord bless you for standing. You may be seated. The pericope of this text is not limited by margins, but it is conceptualized in the mind of the thinking man by the metaphor of a soldier. Paul addresses Timothy as a tutor would teach a pupil. My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Greek word of my is mu. Mu is the root of musikos, from which is derived our term musical. Calling him my son, Paul demonstrates how his relationship with Timothy is syncopated in harmonic rhythm that leaves no room for ulterior motive. 
And it is imperative today that there is the maintaining and the fostering of self-same relationships from spiritual fathers to spiritual sons in the Gospel. That there would be this musikos. That there would be this musical harmony as if it were that puts us on the same page. That helps us to speak the same thing that gives us the mindset of spiritual governance to guide a generation into unparalleled apostolic revival. One of the 17 works of the flesh is emulations. Connotatively, emulations is a two-edged sword. It is defined as the capacity or the state of passionate commitment comprehensively for the forces that motivate personality like interests, taste, imitative zeal, and enthusiasm. Then, in a bad sense, it means jealousy, envy, competition, and rivalry. When peers come to an impasse because of rivalries that cause them to no longer fellowship. The church is not in the least affected. But when fathers do not foster sons or imitate our flesh-out fathers, the apostolic community makes a generational reversal. Elijah, Elijah followed Elisha. The teacher followed the student as the teacher was on the cusp of being translated. The teacher had replicated all the pragmatics of spiritual leadership into the student so that now the student could lead the teacher. And that is the will of God today. Thank God for all of what spiritual fathers have instilled into us as sons and taught us and led us into and given us governance and guidance about the deeper ramifications of spiritual imperatives and things that really matter. But there comes a point in time in the matriculation of this unified relationship that sons learn so much from fathers that like Elijah, they're able to lead the Amen. And two other dimensions of spirituality and truth. Elisha was leading Elijah as Elijah was going to be translated and pass off the scene. And just before some old ancient men pass off the scene in review and leave us behind, we had better be in a place, a good place, of qualified leadership, of students that have learned and extrapolated all the information that they have taught us so that we can lead them as they walk out of this world and they can know with a good conscience that before they're buried in the grave that they're leaving the church in good hands that they're leaving the church in the hands of fit young men that are going to carry the torch of truth all the way to the finish line because in a relay race as the baton is passed 
it's very, very imperative that there is attentiveness in the passing on of the baton from one runner to another so that it's not lost in the transfer. Hallelujah. And there is a baton of truth being passed on today as fathers are being translated. And I don't want it to be dropped in the transfer zone, but I want to take it in stride because I want to see the church of Jesus Christ thrive in glory and thrive in power into new spheres of spiritual opportunity in the sour. The Greek word of son is technon. It is a spiritual progeny describing how Paul fathered Timothy in the ministry. He groomed him for a pulpit that Timothy would occupy in the city of Ephesus and prepared him for sterling leadership that would be cutting edge in his generation. From his shoulders upward, Saul was higher than the people. While he was looking for his father's donkeys, the unclean animals, he met Samuel and discovered a genuine holy calling. Samuel requested Saul to be his guest at dinner. And Samuel told the cook to give Saul the shoulder of the animal that was being cooked. And the shoulder represents strength. The old, old sage and prophet wanted to impart and make sure that the young man that had just felt the first flutterings of a calling and stepped into the first vibration of a holy visitation, that he would be given the strength of God that would be absolutely necessary. The shoulder so that he could carry the burden of a ministry and the burden of a prophetic kingship into a new era and vista of spiritual revival. And it's the will of God today that this generation be emboldened. Amen. And partake of the shoulder of spiritual strength so that we could put our shoulder to the plow and we could bear the burdens of a generation so that all the old sages of old can rest with comfortable minds and understand that the message is not going to be lost on them. That truth is not going to be cast into the street. That the righteousness of God is not going to be forfeited on a people that are going to spin, thrift away and throw away and cast away and cast aside the very tenets of apostolic truth. But today I hold this body in my hand and I say that I want to march on with the strength of God. I want to walk on with the power of His might. Hallelujah. And then Samuel took Saul to the rooftop of the house where he communed with him and showed him the Word of God. How paramount it is today that fathers take time with sons, not just in general conversation passing by, but there is a moment of intimate exchange and a holy, holy communion and communal conversation where the Word of God is shown, where precept upon precept and line upon line, that there is an installation and an investment placed on in the hearts of young, tender men that need to know 
know, that need to learn, that do not need to be overlooked, amen, and lost in the shuffle. The Greek word of strong in our text is endodomeneo, which means to be inwardly strengthened in the resolve of an indefeasible purpose. And today, more than ever, I acquire within my soul a great, great passion and desire to be strengthened in the resolve of the definitive and indefeasible purpose of my human existence, of what God has placed me here for. And then the Bible says, that He has called us with a holy calling to the end of a divine purpose. And I want to see the accomplishment of that purpose that somehow I would posture myself in a place so that I would not be at all recalcitrant to fathers, but somehow I would be aligned with the heart and the mind of the Samuels and the Elijahs so that there can be the installation of biblical truth into my heart that I might hide it there and keep it close. And then in the Septuagint, God told the young man Joshua, He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Be strong and of a good courage. For as I was with Moses, so also will I be with you. I hear the resounding voice of the Holy Ghost crying and speaking in this hour. Thank God for the Elijahs. Thank God for the Samuel Thank God for the Moseses that have led us out of the beggarly elements of the flesh, that have led us out of Egypt with the rod of their authority, but they are now passing off the scene. Moses is dead, and now it's incumbent upon Joshua to assume the harness and take the baton of leadership and say that even though Moses is not with me, I learned enough. I received the engrafted the truth with meekness that is able to save the soul and I am fit and I am prepared to carry on and take the people of God into the new era and vista of spiritual dimensional revival. We're going to the promised land. Moses brought us out but God has anointed me to take us in. It's time for this generation to rise together as a collective people and say we're going to follow the new anointed leadership ordained in this hour. We're going on. We're going in. We're going to see the unfolding of the plan of God in this generation. Let's clap to the Lord this morning. Praise God. And then Paul so profoundly implored the Ephesians to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Amen. The, the impetus of Paul's second prayer, though he talks about the comprehending the incomprehensibility of the multidimensional facets of God's gracious, gracious house, what is the length? What is the depth? What is the breadth? What is the height? He then but first keys in on the imperative 
of dealing with the inner man and just making sure that you're strengthened in your heart where it really matters. And then Peter notes in his epistle commensurately, the operation of God is in the hidden man of the heart. In the cruptos anthropos cardia, it's the secret is concealed in this cardiovascular of mine. What is the secret? It's hidden strength. Praise God. There is a hidden strength that lies perhaps dormant in your heart and in mine. Amen. And that strength is only going to be revealed when we get into atmospheres of prayer and atmospheres of holy, holy, sanctified worship. And when we enter into that dimension of Shekinah, the strength that lies indigenous in us is all of, all of a sudden going to become relevant and prevalent. Hallelujah. So many apostolics never tap into the hidden strength of their heart because they don't avail themselves by spiritual submission to the Spirit of God. I want you to know that Samson's strength, which was the query of many, it was the query of the Philistines that probed Delilah to constantly probe and prod and ask the question, where lies your strength? And the strength of Samson really lied deep down in his heart. For the Bible says that once he showed Delilah his heart, then she understood and she comprehended the secret of his strength. And then she cut off the seven locks of his hair. Oh, hallelujah. The devil wants to know what is the secret of the strength of the apostolic church. The spirit of the world is probing. The spirit of the world is knocking on the door. They're trying to lull us to sleep so that they can find out what we're all about. But we are not going to give up the secret today. I refuse to be another Samson that succumbs to the temptation and the wiles and the enticements of Delilah. I'm going to keep the hidden aspect of what God has instilled in me. I've got a hidden string and I'm going to make sure that I walk in the same power and never give up the answer of just where it lies Hallelujah. Timothy be strong in the grace Hallelujah. that is in Christ Jesus are you with me today Hallelujah. the Greek word of grace is charis it is the divine influence upon the heart which is reflected in the life. From charis comes our English word charm, which is aesthetic beauty. Grace works inwardly with an emotion and a thrust outwardly. In the prophecy, he said that he would give us beauty for ashes, aesthetics for ashes. Too many apostolics are living with ashes. Ashes of regret. And ashes of pining sorrows. And ashes of what they should have done and could have become, but never did amount to what they dreamed of. Amen. Ashes of ugliness. 
with ashes on their faces falling from their head as they mourn in a doleful attitude about lost loves and regrettable things of their past to perhaps even of their heritage. But today, when grace begins to work in the human life, not only is it influencing the heart to be conformed to the nature of Jesus Christ, but it's also given us that charm. Amen. The Bible says that He would beautify the meek with salvation. He wants us to have the aesthetic he wants there to be that glow, that shine. Do you remember the day that you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? And there was this evident scintillation that was so prevalent on your face that people would wonder and ask, what just happened to you? Amen. Your response was, I just received the Holy Ghost. Why was there that glow? Why was there that aesthetic? Why was there that charm? It's because of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the work of grace that began in you. I never want to lose that feeling. I never want to lose that look. I want to walk in that self-same grace. And then in verse 2, Paul instructs Timothy, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. It seems that in this text, Timothy's teaching may have been to officers in the church. In any case, Timothy's faithful hearers needed to be competent enough to teach others also. Thus, we have a series of concentric circles of teaching being developed and disseminated in the church. Apostle to delegate to elders to others. A teacher that ceases to be a student becomes irrelevant. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy taught others. And while Timothy taught others, he never ceased to learn. And when I come before him, and when I sit at the feet of Jesus, and when I sit at the feet of my Gamaliel, when I find my rabbi, when I find the one that knows the law, the Torah in such, such specificity, though for all of my learning, and for all of my education, and for all of my academic pursuits, and for all of the books that I read, and as I disseminate information, perhaps hopefully to the effect uh, as a good, good teacher, I never want to cease to be a student. I want to keep that same hunger. I want to keep that same passion because somebody always knows more than I do and I want to be humble enough to receive from them and say preacher preach to me teacher teach me didaskalos do you have another didactic principle because I come today with an open mind of readiness I do not come with puffed up knowledge but I come in a spirit of agape I love and one of the things I love the most I love to learn. And I learn to love as we all learn the same thing in the house of God. As a veteran, soldier, stalwart, and virile, and powerful, Paul defended the cross of Jesus Christ. He bore his body 
what he later said would be the marks of the Lord Jesus. Those were the brands. Those were the imprints. Those were the stigmatas of a veteran soldier, of a man that had been to battle and had been wounded in the process. But his wounds had, be, had healed and became scars. He advised in a note, in a brief, brief synopsis, telling his son Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness is the Greek word sukkakapatheo. Sukkakapatheo means to passionately suffer hardship with me. One generation passes and then another generation rises. The collective voice of today in all of its acquiring, in all of its bargaining as it goes to the counter to make a purchase to check out in all of its quest it had better make sure that in order for it to be qualified to wear the mantle of our fathers all of us must be willing to bear in our bodies the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ there is not the wearing of a mantle if there is not the bearing of the marks. When the old, the old sages that have come before us in preview, when the old meets the new, there must be the mark of the old stigmatized in the new. Except as in the case of Abraham, who was circumcised at 99 years of age, the old had to be marked before the new was born, before the new generation came into existence. Because if the new was marked before the old was marked, the covenant of circumcision that God established with Abraham could not be passed on to the next generation. Amen. I come with an open mind and a readiness of heart to sit at the feet of rabbinic teachers, of men that are principal uh, conveyors of informative biblical truth. But I'm here to tell you today, just because somebody has gray hair does not mean that they are marked does not mean that they have been to the battlefield and fought for the security and the survival of this apostolic biblical truth. Amen. I am not going to listen to men that have no scars, that have no marks, that have no stigmatas. Amen. The only way that a covenant of relationship can be passed on to the next generation is if we can find some elders that have been marked. But if they have not been marked, there cannot be the expectation of the same stigmatization in the following generation. Amen. Don't talk to me about what you know. Show me the marks in your hands. Show me the marks in your side. Amen. That's what the disciples wanted to see. They didn't want to hear of how Jesus came out of the grave 
believe the cry of Thomas was show me the nail prints in your hands I gotta see the evidence and marks in your side and that's what I'm crying for today just before they leave hey elders don't tell me what you know show me what you've done show me the battle that you fought I want the self same marks to be in me I want it to be incised I want God to take his brand and brand me I want him to take me to the door of the tabernacle and bore my ear through with an all I just don't want to be a learner for the sake of garnishing more information. But old, old preacher, show me your scars. I've got to bear the same marks if I'm truly going to be a soldier. A good soldier of the cross. The metaphor of this study class today is a soldier. He suffers by single-mindedness with the outcome of the pleasure of the recruiter. The Greek word of good is kelos. It has the sense of being serviceable so as to be given a medal of honor like a silver star or a purple heart. I want to be a good soldier of the cross today. Amen. And I do wear a purple heart proudly around my neck. When you see me come back from the battle, you know, you know definitively I've been wounded. I've been cut. You're going to see that I'm bleeding because all of my holy ministerial garments are rolled up and they're wrapped up in blood. They're soaked in blood. But I want you to know I'm going to make it. I'm going to survive. I've got a tenacious grip on God. I got a spirit of indomitability. I got an intestinal fortitude from my gut to my heart. I am thoroughly entrenched in this love affair with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I've got the scars of bad health. I've got the battle scars of where people have spoken against me. I've got the battle scars. You can see where I bled from the accusations that have been made. But you know one thing? I didn't give up the fight. I didn't forfeit the fight. I didn't, amen, deliberately try to get discharged from the army of the Lord, but I stayed in there and I kept on fighting. I kept on swinging the sword. I kept on coming. The devil knows that he didn't have a sissified soldier when he met me, but he met somebody with power and somebody with determination that refuse to give up my valor. I'm not going to be dishonorably discharged just because somebody else is attacking me. I'm not going to let their bad attitude become mine. But I'm going to try to keep a good spirit and stay in the battle. The Greek word of soldier is stridides. Strategies is one who serves as a warrior or an expert swordsman fighting on the front lines amid the smoke and fog in the heat of battle. God is looking 
for some expert swordsmen today that know how to wield the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Oh, praise God. The Song of Solomon says, And all the valiant men of Israel carry swords. Be an expert in war because of fear in the night. If there's one reason that we should be militant, if there is one reason that in the celebration of America's freedom that we should be sober and vigilant, amen, it's because of fear in the night. We're fighting on the front lines and in the fear of the night. There are enemies lurking in the shadows. There are demonic forces lurking in the darkness. And we've got to be ready more than ever before. Amen. Keep the sword in hand. we got to make sure that we are expert at using this book called the Word of God. Because of all of the military armor that Paul describes in the book of Ephesians, the only one offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit. Amen. I'm not just coming against the devil today on the defensive side of things. I'm not capitulating. I'm not backing up in timidity. I'm not backing up in cowardice. But I'm coming like an expert swordsman. I'm going on the offensive. I'm taking the battle to the devil. I'm taking the battle and I'm storming the gates of hell because I understand that's a, that the gates of hell shall not prevail amen against the church of Jesus Christ and as a soldier I'm squaring my, my shoulders I'm standing my ground I'm holding my sword I'm swinging it I'm dicing I'm dashing devils I'm cutting spirits I'm a winner I am victorious through the general Jesus Christ no man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier Warth connotes to serve in a military camp campaign on a reconnaissance. Entangleth connotes the entanglement of civilian pursuits that hinder the mission. And when you sign up for any military branch, whether it be the Navy or the Army or the Marines, amen, when you sign the dotted line, you belong to the government. You belong, you become a possession of the military. And if you're going to war, if you're going to go through training boot camp to become a militant soldier that goes on a reconnaissance in mission and battle, you've got to separate yourself from all the entanglement of civilian pursuits. You can't call mama like you used to call mama. Amen. You can't visit parents and siblings and friends like you once did you no longer belong to yourself and when you signed up to be a soldier of Jesus Christ you no longer belong to your old past you no longer belong to your familia you no longer belong to your friends of yesterday when you sign the dotted line 
and you enlisted in this warfare. You belong to Jesus Christ. And if you're going to be an effective soldier, you got to separate from all civilian pursuits. If you're going to win the battle on the next reconnaissance and mission, you got to make sure that you cut all ties of communication. And you say, I'm going forward and I'm not looking back. I don't belong to the world anymore. I don't belong to the devil anymore. I'm a soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm a soldier of my post. I'm standing guard. Amen. I'm wielding shard. I'm going to answer to my captain general. And whatever he tells me to do, I will do in a spirit of obedience. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. They don't ask for it, but they take it. Suffers violence is to overpower by using force. Violent means an enforcer and an enforcer seizes it. He captures it. He takes it by force without asking forgiveness. The enforcer is like a soldier on front lines that's taken the territory of the enemy. And he's not asking the enemy if he can have it. But he's taken it. I want to say this morning, G.I. Joe is a real, real American hero. But he was, number one, an enforcer because he was part of a strike force team and he was known for his Kung Fu grip and the G.I. Joe of Genesis is none other than the man Joseph the Bible says Joseph is a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall the archers sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him the archers shot the arrows of bitterness and the archers shot the arrows of jealousy and the archers shot the arrows of animosity at Joseph but from the father's field all the way to the palace Joseph was like a soldier fighting for his dreams I said Joseph was like a soldier fighting for his dreams Joseph dreamed and his brethren hated him but his father Jacob observed the saying when Joseph dreamed the second time his brethren hated him all the more but this time his father rebuked him for his dreams his father went from observing to now rebuking the dreamer. And after the brethren stripped Joseph of his coat of many colors and cast him into a pit, they killed a goat and dipped the coat in the goat's blood and presented it to their father Jacob, who was convinced that Joseph was dead. But it wasn't the blood of the dreamer on that coat. It was the blood of a goat. The dreamer was still alive. And the dreamer was still fighting 
for his dreams. Oh, hallelujah. I've come to preach to some dreamers today that you're facing insurmountable opposition. Amen. People that once said that you could do it and people that once were for you are turning against you and it seems like all the odds and all the chips on the table are stacked against you but I've come today to admonish you you've got to keep fighting you're a soldier and just like the G.I. Joe of Genesis you can't give up the grip you can't give up the fight but at any cost today you've got to fight for your dreams you've got to fight for their survival you got to fight for their life amen because if anything matters it doesn't matter what people say it doesn't even matter what Jacob said about his own son Joseph had the culpability he was responsible for one thing God had given him dreams and he had to fight for them amen to keep them alive so that they could come to their ultimate fulfillment in his life. Hallelujah. To parallel Joseph. The Bible says in the book of Judges. That they that are delivered from the noise of the bow and arrow. From the cacophony of the archers in the places of drawing water. I want you to capture in your minds the intensification of this beautiful metaphor. The archers would station themselves and they would conceal themselves within a bow shot from the wells of Israel to shoot villagers who came to draw water. The archers were strategically aiming to wound those who were drawing from the source of a deeper depth. And there are some people, amen, that come to church and some that are outside of the church that are like these archers, aiming, amen, to shoot you, aiming to take you out because they know that you have a depth in God, that you're drawing from a source deeper in the spirit and the spirit of jealousy is causing the archers in this generation to station and shoot arrows against those that are trying to go to a deeper place but, but despite all of that I'm coming back to the well I'm still fighting for my dreams amen I'm still fighting to obtain a deeper depth in God I know the shadow and the superficiality that I have yet received. There's more than this in God. I cannot stop. I cannot stay. I cannot be satiated. I've got to go deeper. You can keep on shooting the arrows of your accusation. You can keep on shooting the arrows of your blasphemy. You can wet the tip of those arrows with the poison of your words. Amen. But they don't affect me anymore like Paul. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I've already been wounded. I've already bled. I already have battle scars and it's not going to hurt to have a few more. But I refuse to stop now. I'm going back to the well. I'm putting my bucket back down again. 
bulging up. I'm fracting in the spirit. I understand there's more to be received. There's more to be gleaned. I'm talking about the G.I. Joe of Genesis. And I want to be a soldier along with Joseph. Go ahead and let the archers fire. Amen. But my bow, I got a fruitful bow by a well. And my branches are reaching over the wall. Somebody's going to be affected by my life. Somebody's going to be positively affected by my testimony. No matter what you say and what you do, I'm still going to do the will of God. I'm still going to do the work of God. I'm going deeper. I'm going farther. I'm going more into the things of God. Amen. That's right. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you with me this morning? Today, I gormandize with Joseph. I'm kind of like his brethren. When they met him in the return and in the reunion, he made sure Benjamin sat right next to him. And he gave him five messes. Five more messes of fodder and food than he gave the other brethren. Benjamin was gormandizing as he was gorging with his brother Joseph. And I... I feel the self-same spirit as if it's time to celebrate Joseph again because the Bible says at the end of that text in Genesis chapter number 49, the metaphor continues that Joseph's bow abode in strength. All the while the archers were firing at him, his bow, his weapon abode in strength because the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. You know what happened when the mighty God of Jacob put his hands upon Joseph's hands? He was enabling the G.I. Joe of Genesis to fight back, to fight for his dreams. Amen. It's a whole lot easier to contend with emissaries and with adversaries that are opposing your dreams and your purpose. When God puts his hands on a your hands because there are no other hands that are expert and trained and powerful like the hands of God hey archers you may be firing but I want you to know I got a bow too and I got some arrows too and when God puts his hands on mine I'm going to fight back because I refuse to give up on my dreams I am the G.I. Joe of Genesis and I am a militant warrior I am a soldier. Amen. And likewise are we today. And God is coming this generation. And he's putting his hands upon the arms of the hands of dreamers. Amen. That have been in the battle. That have been in the, in the hot contention. That are facing the hostility of brethren. And they're saying, as he says to us, go ahead. You gotta shoot back. You gotta fire back. While my hand is on you, I am empowering you to fire back. Don't take that from them. You have a right to stand up as a soldier and be counted and do your duty in God. You got to come to a point in time when you quit letting people run roughshod over you and fire away at you and castigate you and scorn you. Amen. Not in a conciliatory spirit either. 
but they're coming against you because you're a dreamer. You're a dreamer. That's why they fired arrows in the first place. That's why they made up and fabricated false accusations in the first place. That's why they tried to demean your reputability in the first place. That's why they tried to say that you're really not used by God in the first place. Amen. I'm going to hold my peace for now. But you just wait. You just wait. After I go through this trial, his hand is coming upon mine. And when he gets his hand on mine, and when his power is infused into mine, the dreamer is going to take up his bow. And the dreamer ain't going down without a fight. And the dreamer is not quietly and tenderly surrendering. But the dreamer has got a warrior deep down inside of him. There's a soldier in Joseph. There's a G.I. Joe in him that says I've got a Kung Fu grip. And I'm not letting go of my dreams. And I'm not letting go of God. I'm holding on to eternal life. I'm holding on all the way from the pit to the palace. I'm going to survive. And when I come out on the other side, you're going to be even more envious of me. You're going to be even more jealous of me because I'm going to be everything that God called me to be. I'm going to be the full man and the full stature of Jesus Christ. Let's clap to the Lord this morning. I'm talking about the G.I. Joe of Genesis. Amen. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on is the Greek word enduo. It means to sink into a garment or to be shrouded in the garment from which comes the English word enduo. Jesus said, you shall be endued with power from on high. And when the power comes upon you, it will dress you. It will clothe you as if in a garment so that you can put on the whole armor of God. Whole armor is panoply, which is the complete utility of equipment used by armed infantry, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand against is a word picture of a Roman soldier who is not merely holding his territory, but he is vigorously pushing against another farce. He is not being pursued, but he is pursuing the enemy. And then, darling, David pondered, shall I pursue? The Lord answered, yes, pursue, for you shall without fail recover all. I feel that spirit of hot pursuit on me today. Amen. Some of us have been pursued because we have meekly gone away, pursued by the enemy farce today, and we have meekly and gingerly given up the fight and acquiesced to the haunting voice of fear and phobia that's coming against Against us to attack our mind but it's time to reverse and I'm turning it today we're going to turn the tide we're going to turn the tables no longer are we going to be pursued but we're pursuing the enemy because everything that he took for us God has promised you're going 
to recover. You're going to recover your anointing. You're going to recover your joy. You're going to recover your ministerial capability. You're going to recover your sainthood and all of its saintliness. You're going to recover your witness so that you can speak boldly with utterance the word of God to others. And the wiles of the devil. Wiles is the Greek word methodia. One who operates on travel and, and, or travels on a single lane of travel. The enemy doesn't have a copious tricks in his bag. He always uses one method of attack. The devil always travels on a single highway, a single lane of travel. In the parable of the ewe lamb, there came a traveler. And when Nathan disclosed it to David, he said, there was the ewe lamb that is Bathsheba. The lamb was stolen because the traveler came. The devil always takes in the guise of the traveler. He comes in and out on a single lane of our lives. Devil is the Greek word diabolos. It means to hurl stones from one side to the other, striking repeatedly again and again until he penetrates the mind. You see, that's what the one lane the devil is traveling on. He wants to get into your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind, the Bible says. Gird up as a garment is gird up in preparation for departure. Amen. Even as the children of Israel left it, Egypt in haste, they gird up. They gird up their garments. Loins is the seat of generative procreative power. And here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. The mind is where the ideas of miraculous creativity are birthed. Your mind, gird up the loins of your mind because in your mind is where the ideas for God and the, the conceptualizations for spiritual things are birthed and are generated. The, the devil travels on this single lane with a singular focus to penetrate the mind because he wants to corrupt and he wants to infringe upon the idealisms of spiritual creativity in your mind and in mind because if he knows he can corrupt us in the mind he can affect us in every other aspect of our lives but as the G.I. Joe of Genesis we also need to be G.I. Joes of purpose with dreams and say that I've got to keep one thing intact of all things and that's my mind because if you can win the battle in your mind you can win the battle in your pocketbook if you can win the battle in the mind maybe you can win the battle in your health if you can win the battle in your mind you can always win the battle in your heart but if the devil ever penetrates into the inner recesses of your mind and he taints and he perforates the thoughts of power and purpose then he knows he's got you entrapped right where he wants you for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the rulers of the darkness of this world against is the Greek word pros pros is an intimate counter in a face to face conflict wrestle means to shake or vibrate or shudder due to inertia the weakening of the body because of the wrestling match as it's expending all the energy out of the muscle wrestling in the ancient Olympic games as they grappled the game continued and did not stop until one wrestler lived and the other died hallelujah we're in a wrestling match today 
not with flesh and blood it's not with sarsix or hemoglobin but we're wrestling against an adversarial power and force from the nether world of darkness that is seeking to put us in a headlock in a chokehold he wants to take us to the mat and pin us for the last time amen but i've come to win the fight today i've come to be the winner of this game let's get on the mat Amen. Let's get it going. Because I've come in the power and strength of the Lord. I'm strong in the power of His mind. Amen. I've got the emboldening factor of the infusion of the Holy Ghost. I am not weak. I am not timid. I am not backward. I plan to win. Rulers of darkness refers to a military boot camp where demons like soldiers with raw power were developed and trained and then commissioned. The devil has a boot camp where he is training certain devils that become certain spirits to attack you in certain ways. That's why I believe that there are some devils that are cancer devils. Some devils are fear devils. Some devils are lust devils because all of the demons have been to the boot camp of the devil and their raw power has been converted and the energy has been transformed so that that they can now leave that boot camp with a specific mindset of attack in mind. Oh, hallelujah. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. The indication is the Ephesians had to pick up the whole armor because they had put it down. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having your loins heard about with truth. The loin belt is one of truth. The word truth refers to the Bible. It's the loin belt of the Bible. The only piece of weaponry you can hold in your hand. The one piece that holds the rest of the armor together. Oh, hallelujah. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have a loin belt of truth. And you're not going to be able to walk into the battle with the whole armor of God. And we got a generation today that wants to preach without the Bible. Amen. They want to do without the Bible. They want to function in ministry without the Bible. I don't have time to cover the specificity of all these pieces of armor. But I want to skip on down to shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. These shoes were called greaves made out of metal that covered from the knees down to the ankle to protect the Roman soldier as he marched through the rocky terrain. The shoes of peace had two inch spikes on the bottom to give firmness to the soldier against the attack of the enemy or to walk over and crush the enemy. And that's why the Bible says the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet shortly. We've got these shoes of peace today and there's not much peace about them but we need to use them to step on the head of the devil one more time I said one more time Amen. And I'm going to skip on down to the sword of the Spirit, which is the Rhema of God. This sword was short in length because it was used in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The sword hangs on the loin belt of the Bible. The Rhema that you need comes directly from the Word of God. And some people are going to conferences to get another confirmation of another, another Rhema to speak into their life, to be spoken into their life, when in actuality, the very word that they need to give them direction is found in, in the Bible of their loin belt. Hallelujah. I will cover the bases of these pieces of military armor again at another time, but I want to get to my last point in closing. Our text amplifies the honorable valor of a good soldier. If there was a, if there was a case for a good soldier, 
there must also be one for a bad soldier. In Luke chapter 3, there was a bad band of soldiers who once they were baptized by John became good soldiers with a clear conscience. It was a good soldier who standing at the foot of the cross smote his chest and said, Surely this was the Son of God. It was a bad soldier by the name of Langinus who took a laquet that was the lance and pierced Christ's side that medically is called the pleurisy. Last but not least, are you with me? It was bad soldiers with an, with an imbalanced value system. For when the chief priests were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel together, they gave large sums of money unto the soldiers who had stood watch at the tomb of where Christ rose, that the soldiers should lie and say his disciples came in the night and took him away while we slept. These soldiers were willing to be bought off to preserve their life, even though it came at the price of dishonoring their post. Oh, hallelujah. I've come today as a good soldier of the cross. You can't give give me enough denarii. You can't give me enough finances. You can't give me enough money to buy me off. Amen. But I'm going to stay and I'm going to remain at my post. I'm going to keep my charge that he has given me. Amen. Do you see the parallel today that these men could be bought off for a price? I'm looking for a generation of militants today that cannot be bought off. No matter the price you say, I'm going to go my post in faithfulness with equity and in righteousness I'm a soldier that signed up for this battle and I'm going to remain at my post and I'm not going to capitulate one iota I'm talking about the G.I. Joe of Genesis it's got to become the G.I. Joe in you and the G.I. Joe in me we're going to stay right where we 